Well, yeah. well, it's a uh, Neil. Yeah. Hi, Neil. So yeah, Neil and I had a little bit of an incident with uh, last night. With uh, my power went out, and uh, oh was... yeah, that was that was spectacular. And you wouldn't stop. <laughs> you called back into the show, and I was like, "Oh boy, Ben, Ben, this sounds horrible. We better just end the show." He's like, "Nope." No, we're just going to keep on trucking. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> sorry, Neil. I'm sorry. And there was like this little meter I could see where it was like the amount of time that it would take Neil to edit the show based on how long we continued talking. Well, I And have, at one I... point it just stopped and it said, you're on your own. And it left. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Neil. I'm really sorry. It's just I thought that I thought that I could get a, a good audio out of my Android he- handset my hand android uh, smartphone but turns out that was wrong yeah so i guess droid doesn't do podcast recording <laughs> not too much not great no. but uh you know it's uh it's still it's you know we we can still we can still do that episode later that's still not a problem <sighs> and uh you know I've, I've been having a very good weekend how about you guys pretty good i just been busy SSDD. Okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of. All right. Uh, well, let's get this show started. Everybody ready? Ready. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, welcome again to Animation Aficionados. I am your host, Ben, and we're joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. I'm not the one in hockey pants. And we have with us Tanya Higgins. Hi. <laughs> and Thomas Revore. And I am the one in hockey pants. All right, tonight we will be talking about one of the greatest animated series ever, number two on my top 20 list, what inspired so many people and artists and uh, writers for so many years to come, greatest animated series on lots of people's lists as well. I'm, of course, talking about the one and only Batman the Animated Series. (laughs) We're not going to talk about Filmation He-Man tonight? I love Filmation (laughs) He-Man. But... uh, you know, there's some background information on how Batman the Animated Series was created that we will briefly go over. Uh, basically, what happened was uh, this was around the time where, uh, you know, the first two Tim Burton films were really taking off. Batman Mania was getting really high again. And basically, some people at uh, Warner Brothers walked over, you know, where they were doing Tiny Tunes, And there was this lowly uh, storyboarder named Bruce Tim just working, doing this crappy cartoon about Buster's joke when uh, when they walked in and said, hey, we were thinking about doing a Batman cartoon. You seem to be interested in comics. You want to do it? And so Bruce Tim threw that crappy storyboards to the side and started working on an animated pilot for Batman the Animated Series. This is beautiful. It Brings does. a tear to your eye. What a story. It does. Yes, and uh, a lot of the things that he was able to get into the cartoon was based on his ability to BS. He was a master at BSing because basically they were going to go the route of Spider-Man where we can't have real guns. Bruce yeah. Tim told this BS story that he knew was BS to them, to the, ed- to the executives. He said, well, the, the movie has real guns. If we don't have real guns, we'll confuse the children. Awesome. That is the best BS story ever. And it worked. I'm thrilled that it worked because it's, I, I hate it when they gloss over reality. The G.I. Joe syndrome, thousands of laser beams, and nobody gets hit. No deaths. Well, now, granted, okay, we've only seen one person get shot, right? Well, Duke died yeah. and took a cobra to the heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
See, still no bullets. But yeah, they've only shown one person being shot in Batman the Animated Series. And that was... Uh, the... Jim Gordon. Yeah. Yes. Gordon. Well, and, and you didn't see him get shot. You just saw him having already been shot. And uh, more details have to do with uh, some of the casting decisions. As you know, Mark Hamill as a Joker. What you may not know, actually, I think, Neil, is this one of those commonly known facts or not? Well, if everyone's listening to this show, then everybody knows this. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm just going to repeat it one more time, and then I'm going to retire the story. Tim Curry was the original Joker. What happened was Tim Curry was already cast. He already recorded lines, and then they cast Mark Hamill to be the evil executive in the episode Heart of Ice, animated by Spectrum Studios, one of the best episodes done in the series, Spectrum, one of the last episodes of anything they ever animated, by the way. And basically, Mark Hamill's doing his normal Mark Hamill voice. And after he recorded all his lines, Mark Hamill's really excited. And he walks over to Bruce Timm. He's like, wow, this is great. I want to do more. I want to do more. And Bruce Timm's like, well, we don't really have anything else for you. And Mark Hamill's like, no, I can do the Joker. I can do the Joker. And Bruce Timm's like, Luke Skywalker? Really? No, I don't think so. We already have Tim Curry. And then Mark Hamill says, no, no, I can do it. I can prove it. I can do the laugh. And then Mark Hamill did the laugh. And Bruce Timm turned to Paul Dean. He's like... Who who's gonna be the one that has to call and fire Tim Curry now? See, I'm a, get that Murakami <laughs> kid in here. He'll do it. <laughs> you got to admit, I mean, before Batman the Animated Series, I mean, I saw I, there was one thing that told me Mark Hamill was going to be an absolutely perfect Joker, and that was when he did the Trickster on the live action Flash series. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> he looked absolutely horrible. But if get <laughs> the second episode, the last episode of the series, the Trial of the Trickster. That was the Joker and Harley Quinn. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Bruce Tim did a lot of things that were right, especially with the animation designs. Neil, I'll let you take over on this point. Oh, well, uh, coming in from the 80s, I, I uh, had the horror of experiencing uh, American writers, American animators trying to make overseas studios draw um, very complex designs, and Bruce Tim was the first one in the '90s to really understand that you can't do that. You have to cater to their to their strengths and weaknesses. And he he made a design of Batman that worked for what he was going to get out of Acom and and uh, TMS and uh, all these studios from Japan and Korea. He could get a consistent style from all of them just by making this. Uh, very simplified style that was easy to animate and didn't have a lot of shadows and yeah. and uh, heavy shading that we saw in the X-Men cartoon. But and... it's still akin to his style, the style that he used back when he was doing artwork for Playboy. Yeah. Right. So it was still within his, it was something that he was comfortable with and he made sure that the studios were comfortable with as well. Right. Well, you know, like, like I said before, uh, uh, Bruce Tim, great artist. He was he loved you know he he studied through osmosis the works of uh, Jack Kirby and Wally Wood. He was a big Wally Wood fanboy. I don't know if you know this or not, but he was a huge Wally Wood fanboy. So that's where Who all of it? his that's where <laughs> a lot of his sexy girl style came from. You know, yeah, you can see it. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know like like Neil was saying, the biggest problem was you know when X Men was being made. <laughs> the, what happened was Marvel Animation, and I, I call that very loosely, they were sending stuff over to ACOM as if they were sending stuff over to Toei. 
And they're expecting Toei results from ACOM. Hmm. <laughs> and to- Toei, to- Toei, by the way, did uh, Pride of the X-Men, which is infinitely better animated than all of the Fox X-Men series. <laughs> the X- yeah, I don't, I don't want to go there. Oh, we already went there, and it I'm was pain. I don't think I can. It was it's... the 90s, and all of us old people were laughing at you. <laughs> but, okay. like I said, it was just it was just, it was just amazing what you know, Bruce Tim was basically said, okay, we need to do a style for animation. This is what it is. And through a happy accident of popularity and uh, not enough studio control at the time, Bruce Tim became the de facto head of DC animation. I, I say de facto because I'm sure someone else was listed on paper somewhere, but, but you know, it when, when it came when it came to actual control and actual quality control, Bruce Tim was the man. Well, Marvel had so many cooks in the kitchen that you know AVA Rad's name on everything, but I don't think he sit, sat in for a day of writing or anything. Hey, you're a money man. You don't have to. Right. Marvel always had too many cooks in the kitchen during during the Marvel production era in the eighties. They always had these. They always had this mess of a storyline in GI Joe and Transformers. But yeah, they they it was a good way for them to construct a lot of the lore in those uh, in those shows. But there was just no continuity there. No, it was comic by committee, and that never yeah. works. And no. uh, what, what I loved was, uh, you know, the first episodes of Batman the Animated Series, the ones that were done by uh, Spectrum, you know. You know, on leather wings, uh, yeah. you know, heart of ice. Uh, what I loved was there, there's a lot of grain here, and you listen to the commentary, and Bruce Tim talks about how much he loves the grain in those early episodes. Yeah, he actually sounds sad that the grain is lost in the in the later episodes. I'm sad that it's lost in the later episodes. It it helped develop that whole film noir feel to everything, and I miss it. Oh, yeah, and that's another thing that Tim developed with Batman the Animated Series. This look, this architectural, mechanical design look that is oh. lovingly called Dark Deco. Yeah, which I adore. It fit in, well, I mean, it fit in so well with the Tim Burton movies, who had the dark and overblown look. Right. And yet it still fit in a period, the uh, ambiguous time period where you had cars that looked out of the 40s you had blimps from the 20s and you had these buildings that were just beautifully designed and supercomputers it fit in so well well even the supercomputers it those looked like the big old ibm systems that we had back from the 50s yeah way back when you know when it took up a room and uh... i mean and contrast that the whole look because you could see the dark deco the whole oppressive look of Batman the Animated Series versus what they did with Metropolis and Superman the Animated Series. It was the dark and the light where you had the beautiful contrast of not just the characters, but everything that the characters touched. Right, and uh, what I love about what I love about uh, what Bruce Timmon said in the commentaries, by the way, the commentaries are well worth the price of the box sets. I'll just say that out front. Is they really worked hard to make Gotham City a character in the series. And they did a good job of it. It immediately sets the tone. You know how you're going to feel throughout the series just from looking at the scenery. And, you know, it, I, it's important. I, th- I think a lot of people gloss over that when they're planning projects, or at least it looks like they have. Um, I mean, we go back to planning by committee. 
Yeah. Batman the Animated Series had attacked. I had always seen it as being attacked from three points. They had the look mm-hmm. because it's animation. It's a cartoon. Right. Uh, so, I mean, immediately it's a visual medium. You had the sound. I mean, the little, not just the little sound effects, but I mean, they just didn't reach in and pull and have the same five people doing every voice. They got <laughs> talent. Yeah. Oh, yes, and uh, the little-known fact is a lot of the talent they got originally were from soap operas. Yeah. Yes. Well, Kevin <laughs> Conroy himself, who is still the definitive Batman. Funny story, at a comic convention, uh, right after uh, Dark Knight came out, mm-hmm. a fan raised his hand and asked Kevin Conroy, did Warner Brothers talk to him about redubbing all the Christian Bale's Batman <laughs> lines? And can you please say out loud, I'm not the one wearing hockey pads? And he and Kevin Conroy, in his Batman voice, said the line, and then he actually he actually praised Bale, saying Bale is fantastic. He says it's not his fault; it's the fault of the people who watch the dailies that didn't stop him. <laughs> Absolutely, but then you also have the third point because we can sit there and talk about Bruce Tim and his artwork all day, but you have the other flip of the coin, and that is the writing. Yeah. Oh yes, you actually have you know Paul Dini. Paul Dini, who loves the character. I mean, someone who can write and loves and understands mm-hmm. the character. It's not just Paul Dini, though. You have a lot of writers. You had Marv Wolfman write the Clayface episodes. Absolutely. And I mean, you're, you're getting. I mean, so, so you have the perfect storm with Batman the Anime Series. It was the first time for any animation. And it's why it, it earned the animated series rather than Batman the Cartoon. Yeah. Because it was something that had everything put together and it created the perfect whole and that's why i take issue when people call uh uh call uh fox's x-men x-men the animated series because it was still a cartoon it's a cartoon absolutely <laughs> there was no deeper meaning to it it was bad rehash of bad characters during a bad time period in comic book history there's a maturity to to batman the animated series that you're not going to find in in a cartoon um, and it does come from that deeply character-driven writing that's in, you know, ensconced in this, this beautiful score and these amazing settings and, and beautiful animation. It's and back to Tom's cool. point, though, about the, uh, about the uh, characters, you know, the one thing that is amazing, at least to me, is how Bruce Tim worked really hard and made a lot of these villains very sympathetic, which was practically unheard of because... You know, there were all these stupid rules about writing for television and movies about you can't make villains any bit sympathetic. They have to be bad guy, bad, bad guy, bad black guy. hat, bad, black hat, bad guys, you know. And Bruce Tim adds all this depth, you know, in the comic books. Mr. Freeze was just a jewel thief. Yeah. And then Bruce Tim added all these layers to Mr. Freeze and made him a beloved, tragic figure. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why I give a crap frankly. Um, the, the Batman of the animated series is not a lily white hero, and the villains are not, you know, Satan's minions. They're, Except for the know, Joker. All, well, yeah, even the Joker is a little... Joker has these little soft spots, and you never got to see any of that in, in the comics, and, and there, there are these little, these oddly tender moments and these moments of introspection that that you get from him that show that he's probably hell. The fact that Harley Quinn exists suggests that there's something more to the Joker. So have you actually seen well, mad love? He was basically 
fucking with her brain the whole time. The entire I time. understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's a golden boy. He's not. He's I'm just saying you're trying to... I'm, I, I, no, no, I, no, no. Of all the villains... Did, Mr. Freeze was the perfect example because to someone of my era, mm. you talked about Mr. Freeze and immediately you think Otto Preminger. You know, another goofy villain with a cold gun uh, trying to steal the box office receipts of the skating rink. I mean, and here, I mean, he completely turned the whole character of Mr. Freeze on his ear. It wasn't someone who was just, you know, Otto Preminger, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was someone who you felt sorry for. The entire motivation was the love of his wife, mm -hmm. who he couldn't say, he tried his best to save, and you got this little pinhead of a manager who decides, oh, we can't afford this. Voiced by Mark Hamill, by the way. Yep. <laughs> Though, can I, I say just briefly how really sick I am of that particular storyline? We get it that the wife is in trouble and the guy goes nuts. Stop well, it. it was the first, it was, <laughs> Bruce Tim was the first one to do it, and he was the only one who did it right. And the voice of Michael Ansara, the, who perfectly fit. I mean, the entire DC animated universe didn't just choose people who were there on the lot. Um, DreamWorks. <clears throat> um, <laughs> they got the right people for the right care. I mean, like I said, Michael Ansara is Mr. Freeze. The mm -hmm. slow pacing and the deep voice that he had fitting oh, yeah. perfectly. I mean, Richard Malt, bull from Night Court as Harvey Dent. I Dance. know, which I love. And it I was love. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite one was actually an episode where they actually made the Penguin sympathetic <laughs> where we're where this uh where uh this high society it was uh veronica vreeland i believe mm -hmm. high society woman that actually was a friend of bruce wayne's was totally messing with the penguin making him yeah. feel like he's high society again and then yeah. in the end humiliates him and then the penguin goes evil again right there was there was a point where you felt he was on the brink of redemption yes what's great about all of this is that uh you see, going back to X-Men, in the X-Men cartoon, the comics were leading the, the cartoon, yeah. but Bruce Timm switched that around so that he's actually innovating, and then the comics are copying him. Yes. Uh, and that's the, the first time I, I can really yeah. call that happening. The Detective, right Detective Montoya, Quinn. Detective Montoya, Harley Quinn, uh, the, the new version of Mr. Freeze, that is all Bruce Timm. Yeah. yeah. It all started with the animated series and then moved into the comics. Um, and I frankly would have been just disgusted if it hadn't. Um, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it is. I mean, they breathed life, character, and personality into things. I, I mean, I talked about Mr. Freeze. Let's take it to a different one. A minor, minor character from the comic books, the Clock King. Oh, they made they made the Clock King badass. <laughs> yeah, I mean. In the comic books, he wore a costume, a blue costume, with lots of little clock faces on him and a clock face for, I mean, on the top of space. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, Tempest Fugit, who, whose name I still love. makes no sense, but I love it. Um, <laughs> He's just who, really good with keeping it, schedules. But, I mean, it's just such a middleman whose life is run by schedules, and everything works around that. Oh, and, which is brilliant. Yeah, I love the I love the controlled madness of it, and it 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 almost touches on on those hectic moments that we we all have had those moments where we're just on the brink of a little too much, and he's he's right he 
he's right on the other side. <laughs> I I loved that character, and they've done so much with him. And you're right, he was it was laughable. It was a joke. Another character set of characters I think they really revitalized was uh, you know Ra's al Ghul and uh, Atalia. I, I can't say revitalized it because, with the exception of its in, his initial outgoing during the uh, Denny O'Neill run, um, Rachel Ghoul, and I thank the animated series for pronouncing the name right. Um, just they never got the character right. I think adding in the twist of him being an eco terrorist for the animated series was a little bit much, but you could always see the machinations of Al Ghoul. And, well, it was at least it was topical. It also led me. It also led to my favorite non-Batman episode of the series with Jonah Hex. It, one of my favorites as well. Although, I mean, it's funny because to me, it's always been Batman is a great thing. But uh, oh, now I'm trying to think of the episode name. Um, Showdown. No, it was a Alfred Pennyworth centered episode. Uh, the Lion and the Unicorn. The Lion and the Unicorn. I love that one because Alfred that, okay. was Alfred was affected by the truth serum and he made it look like he was just a crazy guy. Yep. And then take a look at the mechanic. I mean, to, to me, the mechanic is one of the best episodes they had because it was everything around Batman without it being centered on Batman himself. Right. Right. Mm. It's the characters. It shows a little bit of past the veil and it shows the characters that get involved to him. And they also they also allowed the writers to throw in the original Batmobile design and mock it. <laughs> <laughs> the one with the, the the bat face as a battering ram. You know the one. Yeah, right. we know the one. <laughs> we know the one. But yeah, it's a golden age. I know the uh, the one yeah. thing I do love is, you know, they did have a couple of episodes done by Acom, but Bruce Tim rather famously did fire Acom finally. <laughs> Somebody needed to. Acom was one of the worst animation studios in the 90s. Second only to Kennedy. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I think Kennedy uh, Kennedy is nowhere nearly bad, near as bad as Acom. <laughs> Kennedy's pretty damn bad, Neil. Well, Kennedy only went off model. They didn't like draw the wrong characters in the wrong scenes and stuff like that. <laughs> You're not going to let Acom, that go. Acom, Acom just doesn't care. <laughs> That's a pretty big thing to let go. Like, it, yeah, you, you weren't watching the Transformers in the 80s. I was. <laughs> but uh, one thing I do love was, uh, is, you know, talk again, again about the Heart of Ice. Uh, in this episode, done by Spectrum, there, there were two very quick scenes where the colors on Batman's bat emblem were reversed. And Bruce Timm's the kind of guy that would throw things back and tell the studio to do it again. He didn't. You know, you want to know why he didn't for those two instances? Oh, he probably wanted to get him fired. No, he no. Spectrum was actually a kick-ass studio. <laughs> All right. This so was I... Spectrum. What what the the reason why he didn't? was because he thought it was a nice nod to the filmation Batman where they kept on reversing <laughs> the color. <laughs> so, so you got to admire the guy that he's... I just moved on. You got you to gotta love the guy for doing something like that. Yeah, it's nice. It's yeah. a tough joke. <laughs> no, it's... it's, it's good. No, you can actually learn all this stuff on the commentaries, on the box sets. Uh, we'll see. I love the commentaries. It's uh, It's... Part of why I, I still live. 
<laughs> but and now you know. Wow. Okay. Actually, in the first episode on leather, the first episode produced episode, I should say, on leather wings. Wings. Uh, there's after Batman fights the Man Bat in midair, and they crash into the building. Yeah. And Batman's covered in blood. Yeah. The most blood you'll see in the cartoon, by the way. Yeah. Bruce Tim in the comedy says, "Oh, precious blood." <laughs> <laughs> okay. I yeah. Like after it. the whole Batman Beyond Return of the Joker fiasco, which was much later, but yeah, it definitely shows again the whole theme. Batman the Animated Series was the first animated series where you could tell it was written for all ages. It had something for adults. It had something for kids. You know, parents could sit down with Junior and watch it, and nobody would tear their eyes away. Right. Well. <laughs> and uh, actually, a lot of things that were interesting to me were, you know, just a lot of the notes that they were talking about on, this, in, on the show about things that they intended to do but never got down right was... Did you know that originally when they were designing Poison Ivy, they wanted it to be very pixie-like? And they, and uh, aside from the first episode where they actually got that down pretty good, aside from that first episode, they never really caught that again because all the other studios drew her a little too leggy, a little too tall. Hey, I like the leggy and tall Poison Ivy. I know, Ivy. I know, but the I mean, original... She was supposed to be the femme fatale. Yeah, I'm and, not interested. Oh, man, that. she played it. Th- yeah. That's true, but like I said, the original intent was she was supposed to be like pixie-like. So I'm glad that didn't work, frankly. Yep. Until the redesign. Ugh. Well, actually, the redesign said. Now, what? What? <laughs> well, the, the redesigns. Uh, we were going to move into new Batman Adventures already. Okay. Well, we can do. We can. <laughs> uh, well, uh, one thing interesting to me about the redesigns was uh, when Bruce Tim totally redesigned it, simplified the styles a little bit more. He there he sent like at least five pages of notes on how to animate when light hits Batman's cape a certain way. He sent these he sent all these notes to the animators and that's how they were able to get really good results. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's good to know what you want. It's people who who understand as well as love the craft. Yeah. It's and actually New Adventures had uh, had two episodes that are my favorite episodes. Which ones? Uh, Growing Pains <laughs> and uh, Over the Edge. Both done by TMS. Uh, both brilliant episodes. Okay, you're going to have to refresh my memory on that. Uh, Growing Pains was a Tim Drake story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one... the Clayface episode. Oh, right. yeah. Which one was Over the Edge, though? Over the Edge was, uh, was a, scare... Yeah, a scare... Scarecrow oh. episode. Scarecrow recast by Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I think, you know, the original Scarecrow was a great voice, but Jeffrey Combs in that it's new something. design, in that new design, oh yeah. my god. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. With the hangman's noose and everything, oh my god. Oh, I know, there's a brilliant little touch. I, yeah. It, it, it's a, um, certainly a more psychologically terrifying character. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well I, you actually hit on the key, one of the key words for me about this. This was the whole psychology of it. I mean, having going back to Two Face, mm-hmm. having Harvey Dent as someone who suffers from multiple personality disorder, even before the creation of Two Face. Yeah. I mean, you've got Harvey Dent and you've got Big Bad Harv. Stroke of genius. Oh yeah. And well, then I... break, breaking it off even further when you've got the episode with the Judge, where where Harvey created a third personality just to combat Two Face. Yeah, mm-hmm. and ends up almost killing himself. And he, I, there's, there's a brilliant scene at the end where he's in Arkham, and the judge 
judges Two Face and Two Face actually keeps on saying guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think maybe that's that's half of what I loved about about this the whole animated series. Here you've had this entire world that's been centered around all the bad guys continuously being being sent off to an asylum and very little attention is paid to the the entire psychology behind these people um it it doesn't make a lot of sense for your your main jail to be an insane asylum and then have none of that that psychological aspect to the rest of it and they really did a good job of bringing that all in because it's so character driven. We understand their motivations. We know who they are and they're creepier for it. Exactly. I mean, we go back to the Joker where Mm -hmm. whose psychology will never understand because he wants it that way. And yet he takes a trained psychiatrist, a psychologist and twists this person into a weapon. Yeah, into his style of weapon. To and my favorite weapon ever. Oh <laughs> my god, I'm so in love with Harley. It's not even funny. Yeah, just this um this jovial, psychotic little bitch. Oh, Someone who enjoys being a psychotic bitch. Oh yeah, oh yeah, from Mr. J. Oh god, I love her. And uh, <laughs> Mad Love, another great episode. <laughs> just just gotta throw it out there, just naming episodes as we go I, along. I love I love which was I a much better comic book than it was animated episode. That's certainly true, but I still feel the animated uh, the animated uh, adaptation was uh, one of the better a- animated adaptations of an existing comic. Yes. And I have to say, this is probably the only time where I've seen a woman literally victimized to the point of madness. And, oh, it happens so freaking often, <laughs> often in uh, the comic books, where I actually approved. Um, normally, I find it, you know, just, oh, here we go again. Chick's gonna go nuts in three pages, but no, um, this this one was actually acceptable. No, what, what I love about what I love about Mad Love, there's this whole scene where the Joker is actually gonna let Batman go at first. Yeah, and then totally unpredictable as he is, he's like, "Wait a minute, I can just shoot you right now." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where, where he, I mean, the Joker, after all these years of trying to kill Batman in an elaborate way, and it's Harley who almost gets him. And if it wasn't yeah. for the Joker's ego and Batman I... knowing about Bat, she would have gotten away with it. Yep. I love her. And yet you also had on the flip side, because you can see there's the old Harley, Harley, Harleen Quinzel trying to break out in the episode Harley's Holiday, where she's declared sane. Oh, yeah. What I love that, that episode. That episode was... to have a good day. That episode was so well animated, by the way. And my favorite part is her and Veronica Vreeland actually sort of have this sort of buddy comedy thing going throughout it. And then, oh, wow, Parley works best with other women for some reason. Yeah, um, well, I mean, other than Mr. J, I mean, her best episodes are the ones with Poison Ivy, where they just play off of each other so well. My favorite line from Harley and Ivy is... This and also this is another little thing. Bruce Tim actually had him and Paul Dini as the two guys in the car next to them, trying <laughs> to pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> and then Harley says, "And here's the paddle," <laughs> and pulls out a bazooka. But yeah. Bruce Tim actually put himself in the cartoon like six times. He also put himself in uh, "Beware the Great Ghost" as the toy collector. And you know what? Good for him, because if you don't love the world enough to want to be part of it, screw you. Do something else. And by the way, Beware the Great Ghost brings back Adam West in a very Batman-esque role. Sort of a shout-out to how he was typecast 
without it being a lampoon. Without being cloying, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was Great Ghost was a terrific homage to Adam West, not Batman, but the way that Adam West was, the way that he had a character that people loved that was a bigger role than who he was, people. bigger than who he was, yeah. Now, I will say that you are missing probably the greatest cameo, well, pseudo-cameo, in all of animation history. Which one? Legends of the Dark Knight, where Deanie and uh, Tim and the others let us know exactly what they thought. Of Joel Schumacher? Of Joel Schumacher. Oh, yeah. We, we talked about this before, and uh, <laughs> Neil actually got really upset with me about this. Because I, I mentioned that this kid was so gay. <laughs> I mean, standing out in the middle playing with a boa. Yeah. It, it, yeah, the tight leather arm, tight rubber armor, and it drives up walls. And then he flipped his hair up while he talked about how the <laughs> fire was fabulous. Well, we had someone on the show who was very, very, very liberal. And, and, <laughs> and Ben just goes, oh, he was so gay. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> there's, a, there's a level of gay when even the most liberal person is like, yeah, that guy's gay. Okay. Well, <laughs> We've all got our gaydar jokes. Yeah. Yeah, you have another LGBT activist on the show. Good job. What is this, like two in a row? Or <laughs> Well, no matter what you think about it, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, this is... No, that's pretty gay. Lamp like... <laughs> him, the guy who gives us bat nipples yeah. cannot yeah. be enough. He won't even put nipples on Alicia Silverstone's outfit. Yeah. I know. But you also had, I mean, again, the characterization. I mean, look at who they got for the voices of the Dick Sprang era. Oh, Batman. yeah. I mean, Gary Owens. How can you go wrong with Gary Owens as the 1940s Batman? Oh, how about, how about Michael, I, Michael, Ironside. Michael Ironside? You just cannot go wrong with a badass voice by Michael Ironside. And, by the way, a very faithful adaptation of Dark, Dark, Dark Knight Returns. Returns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a terrific – the giant props that they used. I mean, you could tell from the look, the style, everything, the bad jokes that that was the Dick Sprang era. And you could also tell that, uh, that you know, this was a great episode because you want to know what happened? The, people copied it. You, you, yeah. Batman, Gotham Knights, they copied the same episode exactly. Yeah. Except it was worse. Well. <laughs> they, made a, they made gold into coal. Wow. That's... Reverse alchemy. That's, that's all kinds well, of... a copy of a copy. I mean, so, I mean, where you had something that was a great homage to this, and then you try to... Rather than going back to the source material, they just copied the copy, and you're never going to get the same flavor yeah. as well. Right. Yeah, that doesn't quite work. Right. It's uh, by by the way, and uh, just as an aside, I think Gotham Knight, great to have uh, Kevin Conroy to voice Batman again, but I think it's one of the worst uh, of the individual animated features that uh, DC did in a long time because it's supposed to be a piece of bridge man between uh, Begins and Dark Knight, and it fails in doing that. It brings nothing in between those two stories at all. If you look at it that way, I agree, but I also enjoyed the experiment of having the different looks from oh, anime, geez. some of the great anime directors. Well, well that's so – well, the, Bish the, the Bishonen Batman was – yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think we just lost him. He may have choked to death. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. The Bishonen Batman was, was one of the worst ideas ever. But oh, you have – I mean – just some of the look, because they do do some great dark and gritty stuff over there. Well, but the only it, the only story I liked in that whole thing was the one about the the woman named Cassandra teaching Batman about how to deal with pain. Yes, that was the only good story. The rest was, ugh. 
Well, the Deadshot one was definitely, I mean, it, it could have been anything. It was a way of bringing Deadshot into that universe. But there are different things about it that I liked. But yeah, um, but I mean, we're, we're comparing it to what is considered the great one of the great things here. I mean, you can't do Batman without immediately thinking of Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill. Even going back to that, one of the great things about um, Batman Arkham Asylum, a video game. Brought back yeah. everybody. Written by Paul Dini, Kevin yeah. Conroy, Mark Hamill, Arlene Sorkin, who unfortunately won't be in the sequel. I mean, it just great voices again, yeah. going back to quality. Yeah, yeah, they had they had Gary Ullman say everyone. <laughs> what, what is this badness? <laughs> I, I told that joke before. Oh. Yeah, there were a repeat joke counter that just oh, okay. goes toward the saddy face every time uh, that repeats a joke. Yeah. I'm sorry, Neil. I'm sorry, but you know, like I said, it this this cast, this crew, these writers, this team, this look has so ingrained itself on what Batman is and will be that I think it's unescapable. And that brings me into my next point. You know, after after the Bruce Tim uh, and you know Batman series ended, you know, a couple of years passed, and. Uh, there's this guy named uh, Samuel Register, vice president of uh, Cartoon Network, wanted to do his own Batman cartoon. <laughs> and uh, what happened was, before one episode aired, before the initial reviews were even out, he was interviewed, the same Register guy. And he was asked a perfectly legitimate interview question, which was, how do you think the fans of the old series would feel about this cartoon? And Sam Register said... My cartoon is meant to appeal to more than 28-year-old virgins that live in their mother's basements. Oh, fuck you. Oh, well, that line works I'm so sorry. well for William Shatner. <laughs> I'm and I think, I think to myself, you are an arrogant prick, and I will never watch a thing that you do because you are an arrogant prick. Oh, 28-year-old virgins? <laughs> nice. And because an episode didn't even air yet. There weren't even opinions out yet about... The crap man, and he was already attacking the superior product. Nice. So I think he saw what the episodes they produced, and he knew I'm in trouble here. This is absolute shit. Yeah, and just pulled it. No, it went on for what four seasons? Yeah. Did it really? Yeah. Instead, instead of instead of saying something like, "Well, mine's going to be a different take," or "This is going to be a younger Batman," he's no, he attacked the fans of the superior product before an episode even aired. I mean, I will give it to the current animated Batman series, Batman Brave and the Bold, which I love because it goes back to the eras that I enjoy, the 1950s, 60s, The 70s Dick Sprang era, yeah. Well, after the Dick Sprang era. Well, uh, why, why is it Dick Sprang art style, then? It's not so much a Dick Sprang art style. I mean, this is Dick Sprang. It totally is. Now, Sprang was 40s and 50s. This is definitely not so much giant props as it was pre-Batman TV show. So, I mean, it, even then, it was people who were basing their work off of Sprang, but it wasn't so much Sprang himself. Okay. Okay. I mean, just look at the Joker's face. Joker's face is a lot longer, well, a little bit longer than Sprang's. Well, uh, Sprang's is a little bit longer. It, but it, I mean, it's, they went back to, they didn't try to compare themselves, because you're not going to get better than Batman the Animated Series as for the dark, gloomy, gothic look of Batman. They went to a little more lighthearted series. Well, and right, I, and uh, I get that, but like I said, you know... The Batman I, tried to play with the Master on its own field, and, of course, failed. You're not going, unless you get the talent in there, 
could it have been done better than the animated series? Maybe, if they had better writers, artists. Well, the problem was the problem was everything that they everything that Bruce Tim did that was brilliant is basically like you had a team of people said we need to do the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even then, they had one episode that I watched, and to me, it was the surrender notice of the Batman saying we'll never compare to Batman the animated series. Was it the one written by Paul Dini? The Harley Quinn episode written by Paul Dini. That was the We Surrender episode. But like I said, like I said, I just can't forgive the man for being such a colossal prick for saying that before even one episode aired. He didn't even let reviews come in yet. And well, I'm going to was... go ahead and go out on a limb and say that I probably don't match that stereotype. <laughs> well, none Thank of us do. Much, it's a, but like I, like I said, you know, Tom, when you when you just heard that just now, or I don't know if you knew about that before, but oh, I knew about it. Okay, and yes, did it, well. Did it irritate me? Absolutely. I mean, I was willing to give it a chance. I was willing to give the Batman a chance because call it, it the right name. Series. Yeah, call <laughs> it the right name. It, no, I, I give everything a chance based off of its own merit because. It could have been good. It could have been a lot of things. It wasn't. It was Jackie Chan Adventures in Batman costume. Oh. And his face was fucking concave. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. No, yes. no, no. Jeff Matsuda is a terrible artist for animation. I don't know why people love him because he draws fingertips as like these horrible squashed things like yeah. the geckos. And he draws well, faces as concave. Yeah. And the characterization. I mean... I love Kevin Michael Richardson as a voice actor. He's done some terrific roles. He's done some bad ones, too, let's be honest. Well, yeah. he's not exactly the first, second, third, fourth, 100, 2,000, 3,000 billionth person I would have figured for casting as the Joker. Actually, what really offended me was they did an episode in, I think, season three that I, I had the misfortune of watching, which was where the Joker wanted to get a sidekick. Because he was feeling jealous because Batman had a sidekick. And basically this this uh, sidekick is telling the Joker all his plans of all these mayhemic things to do. And they actually had, they told this guy, you know, Kevin, to rip off a Mark Hamill delivery of a Joker line. Mm-hmm. Because there's this line where, where their Joker says, to Riddler. And he says it almost exactly like the way that Mark Hamill did in Mad Love. Mm-hmm. It was it was a downright photocopy, and I heard it. And I'm like, "Oh, you are terrible, terrible people for doing that." It, it, it goes. To, I mean, Batman the animated series and the whole DC animated universe was true to the characters. They didn't have. They had the Penguin as a short, squat guy who was a misfit whether from looks in the early series where they based it off the movies or just an oddball guy later on. That was mostly from the, uh, from the executives in Warner Brothers saying we have to make it look like the Danny DeVito yeah, penguin. Right. The Tim yeah. Burton, everybody's a freak thing. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they, at, least, was... at least they didn't put the scissor hands on Batman. Yeah. I oh, and they... uh, by the way, a little special present for you all. Uh-oh. Some Jeff Matsuda artwork that... I did some guides just so you can see that I'm telling the truth. I don't know. I'm afraid to open these things now. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I just want you to tell me that I'm wrong. No, I, nope. I won't. Because it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I got an argument with someone before, and he says, it really isn't concave. And I'm like, here, I'll show you. Yeah. 
Actually, some funny things happen with um, right now. I'm showing the guys uh, what basically is the uh, artwork from the thankfully aborted uh, animation designs that uh, Jeff Mazuda turned in for what became Spectacular Spider-Man. And this is what happens when you overlay the Spider-Man head over the Peter Parker head. <laughs> so, Jeff Matsuda, I'm sorry, man. You suck. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, not Very interesting. good, but interesting. <laughs> no, they just, they, they fired at everything with that second series, and it missed, everything missed. Everything missed. Like a poor marksman, he kept missing the targets. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, it also, I mean, it read to me, Batman the Anime Series was a series that I, as an adult, enjoyed, where my nephews, as kids, enjoyed. It was for all ages. The Batman was, it was kitty fair. Yeah, it was. But at the same time, I never really liked the whole "it's for kids." That means we don't write quality. That's one of no. the worst. Well, that's that's part of the ever. problem. I mean, it, it was, it's where they're talking down to the kids. Uh, yeah. Brave and the Bold, it's quote for kids, but it's written in such a way to where kids can enjoy it and parents can enjoy it. I mean, the Paul Dini episode, the first Paul Dini episode with Batmite, my God, genius, <laughs> where he gets to go off on the fans and the fans lap it up, genius. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, back to the Batman the Animated Series. Uh, you know, one of the things you know, I understand why Bruce Tim had to do the redesign for New Batman Adventures. Some of the characters fared off better than others. Uh, like I said, Scarecrow definitely got awesome. improvement, but Catwoman, no. Where they went back to the uh, uh, Batman Returns Catwoman leather Catwoman suit yeah. didn't work for her. You went from a sexy, sexy character oh, yes. by Adrienne Barbeau mm -hmm. to, yeah, yeah, well. It, it, actually, uh, funny story, the first episode of Batman the Animated Series I saw was the first one that they aired. As everybody knows, the first one that was in production was On Leather Wings. But the first one that aired was Cat in the Claw. Yeah. And I was watching it, and I was thinking, oh, my God, this is awesome. Oh, my God, this is awesome. And then there's this one line Batman says on the top of the train when he first faces Red Claw, voiced, of course, by, of course, no one else but Catherine Janeway. Yep, Kate Mulgrew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, perfect casting for a character. Yes, and anyways, uh, Batman says the lamest line ever. I still forget the cartoon for it, but I remember I was a little bitty baby child, and I heard this line, and I'm like, oh my god, that's the lamest thing I heard in my life. Where Batman says, proudly, Kevin Conroy, I'm an equal opportunity crime fighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Was really Neil, fun. what's your favorite memory of the cartoon? My favorite memory of the cartoon? Hmm. <laughs> um... Probably most Poison Ivy episodes, and the one that comes to mind always is Harley and Ivy, because there was just <laughs> a little hint of uh, lesbianism going on. <laughs> a little hint? That was like jovial I, I love, intimacy. I love... The whole episode was jovial intimacy. I love the fact that they were hanging out in Ivy's trailer, and they were like dressed in nothing but long t-shirts. And also, <laughs> best, best payoff ever at the end of the episode was when uh, when they sh when they're driving off, shouting out of the car, "No man can catch us!" And then all of a sudden, her tires blow out. Who's standing there with a the shotgun? Detective Montoya. 
What a coincidence. Well, and having so much fun with that pair in the um, the Christmas episode. Oh, yes. I mean, which was based off of one of the comic books that they specials that they did, but still, they really just have so much fun being bad. Yeah. Yeah, they, they really are the best pair together. But like I said, I find that Ivy always plays well, really well, when written with another woman. Even if it's, uh, like I said, even if it's Veronica Vreeland, there was this whole thing where Veronica and his dad, who was, in, who was, in, who was like a general in the army, he's chasing after them with a tank. And it's like the most ridiculous thing ever. Holly's, Holly's Holiday. Like, it's such a ridiculous episode. <laughs> I mean, but... it... it, it, it they pay off in the end was where Harley actually full out French's Batman. Yep. And in uh, <laughs> Ivy's watching there, and her and Robin actually share a look. Which is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, my my favorite Ivy is when when there is another woman present. It brings out an entire different dimension in her personality. See, I'll say. My favorite Ivy episode, not including the two Two Face episodes, mm. or excuse me, not the Two Face episode, but the first one where we meet her, both her and uh, Harvey Dent. Uh, Harvey Dent, where yeah. she's and by the way, killing... brilliant, brilliant to bring in Harvey Pretty Dent, Harvey, bring in Harvey Dent as Harvey Dent for a couple episodes before doing Two Face. Oh yeah, but it's the one where she tries to have the quote the perfect family, where she's allegedly go straight. Oh, that and in her really twisted line. She had what she wanted, and she still couldn't do it right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Well, but it was, you you get the very you you get the very subtle impression there that what she really wanted wasn't what she really wanted. Exactly. It's what she was supposed to want, and that's and, a lot uh, different what you really want. Another great episode was, uh, in my mind, uh, his Silicon Soul, with the robot Batman. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> but you see, I mean, to me, that can't compare with something like. Where they did something completely offbeat. Look at Joker's favor. Oh, I love that one with Charlie. And Charlie. His project Charlie. Oh, what about the man who killed Batman? That was a brilliant one, too. Oh, my God, yes. Or Almost Got Him. Oh, Almost Got Him was great because they actually had this whole thing where where Ivy and and, uh, and Two-Face were, like, bickering with each other because... Well, they it was totally, to in con- totally in continuity <laughs> about that, yeah. And yet the, one the, commentary, really... the commentary for Almost Got Him reveals some very startling things about Glenn Murakami. Oh. <laughs> where, where Bruce Tim outright says, and I think Glenn is actually in this commentary as well, Bruce Tim outright says, we almost didn't hire Glenn because his portfolio sucks. <laughs> nice. And he talks about why the only reason they hired him was because he could draw strange alien creatures. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. There's something to love about the man who's so candid about that, you know? Yeah, a little chutzpah is admirable. Now, for all the credit that I do give him, uh, animated series did have some clunkers. Of course, yes. I mean, I'm sorry, Tiger Tiger was a clunker. Yeah, that was totally, you know, Island of Dr. Monroe gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Terror in the Sky, with the return of Man Bat, or Woman Bat in this case... I thought that was I thought that was a, a nice epilogue, not a perfect epilogue, but a nice epilogue to Unleather Wings. Uh, it just it just didn't work for me. Okay, I can understand that, but I'm just yeah. saying that personally, I thought it was a nice epilogue. But of course, it's it's nothing compared to. Uh, there's a Batman in my basement. I see. I like that episode. 
I thought it was just it, again it focusing on characters other than the main ones and building the environment around them. Seeing kids who are in I mean, it, the junior detective league stories have worked since Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> but there's a reason why no, there's no current Newsboy Legion comic. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I don't. Jack buy Kirby it. again. Don't don't diss Jack Kirby. No, I'm not dissing. I'm just saying that there's a reason why they aren't doing it anymore. Doesn't fly. See, uh, blind as a bat. Uh, that was a pretty good one. It's not great. Uh, it has flaws. It has flaws. Okay. Yeah. But you know, if if like I said, if you take the worst episode of Batman the Animated Series and put it against the best episode of Spider Man or X Men, oh, there, there, there's no. no contest still. No. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you have to dig in. You have to really dig and like grab the best episode of Gargoyles to go against the worst episode of Batman to get some sort of comparison going. Uh. uh yeah, I'll I'll disagree with you because Gargoyles, on a whole, was very close to Batman because it had themes running through it that you would never expect. I'm I'm just saying that Gargoyles is the closest thing you have to grab before you can start making right comparisons. before you could get oh, anything outside of the DC animated universe. Compare. Yes. Yeah, if if you if you were even going to try and make a comparison that was in any way fair, you'd have to pull from Gargoyles. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I said, that's. That's that's sort of that's sort of like saying we give up we can't touch Marvel anymore we have to go into Disney, <laughs> <laughs> which is right now the same Ouch. thing. But I digress. Yep. Well, it's funny because now that Disney is merged, or Marvel has been bought out by Disney, um, the Avengers cartoon series is good. They actually finally have a good Marvel animated series. Yeah, but the the art style is such, such a imitator, though. Well, hey, uh, uh. good artists borrow. Great yes, but I, I just I just see a lost opportunity because X Men Evolution had such a great style that was both simplified for animation, but so uniquely not Bruce Tim that yeah. They, yeah. that could have been the Studio Marvel look. They they lost an opportunity there. That's what I'm saying. Right, oh, yeah. a branding opportunity, absolutely. Yeah. And now they have a style that's so obviously a Timitator. <laughs> it's two for two. <laughs> no, we're, we're actually going to have an episode scheduled called Timitators about people who try to copy the Bruce Tim style. Oh, well, holy hell. That's going to be a long-ass episode. We've had long-ass episodes in the past. <laughs> we'll keep on having them as long as we're not, they're not epic length, because then Neil starts putting the foot down. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I, let, I let one epic, epic length episode slide, and that was Tiffany Grant. <laughs> well, because it was Tiffany Grant. Yeah. There was an excitement level around that. That was probably the biggest buzz I think I've ever I've ever gotten from... Uh, posts and tweets, so. Yeah, fanboys. <laughs> hey, well, I, I love me some fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> some of us need to make a living. Don't diss the fanboys. <laughs> but yeah, New Adventures had some episodes that were hit and miss, and like I said, some of the redesigns were hit and miss. Obviously, like I said, you know, the, the new Joker, I know what they were going for, and actually seeing Bruce Tim do a whole mock-up of what it was supposed to be, there's supposed to be a thin red outline around his lips that they never quite made it into animation. And I think that by itself made that new Joker design really pop, but they couldn't really make it fit. Yeah. What works on paper may not work in Cell. That's true, but like I said, at least what they had in Cell was at least animatable and consistent. Yeah. Uh, it, still, it still looked good, you know, unlike, say, uh, the Mad Hatter, who did make the transition well. <laughs> well, his, his transition was basically a game of darker color scheme. There was nothing else really changed. 
And I know what they were going for when they redesigned Riddler, but, you know, Clockwork Orange look didn't really quite fit. Yeah. Well, well it, it's, it's the wrong personality type. Yeah. You had someone who was smarter than you, and I'm, uh, the Riddler suit looked great, just a single question mark on the tie. Instead, we get something that would have made... um. Doctor Who bulk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even the Colin Baker Doctor Who bulk. <laughs> now, now, speaking of the Riddler, that reminded me of one of my another one of my favorite episodes, which is the one where the Riddler seemed to have gone good. Riddler's reform. And, yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, he basically just traps Batman in a warehouse. No riddles, no nothing. He just traps him in there and sets off a time bomb. And no way out for Batman. Yeah, no way out for Batman, and the whole building explodes, and then Batman just come just comes back, and he's like, "How'd you do it?" And Batman was like, uh, "I'm not gonna tell you." And he went crazy, like, "I need to know. I need to know." <laughs> well, that explains yeah. the new outfit. He's like, "That's not fair." <laughs> but um, but the first yeah, little was, episode was great too. The first little episode was great too. Uh, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Was mm-hmm. was the name, mm-hmm. and uh, I just love the fact because Batman basically cheated in the maze. Don't play by their rules. Yeah, it's a, it reminds me of a line from the comic book. It's uh, were you just cheating? And Batman Batman clarifies, winning. Yeah. Oh, don't Batman used it <laughs> ten years before Charlie Sheen. Yeah, so it's it's a sub- it's been poisoned. That's what I like in a hero. I need it, I need somebody who's who's slightly tainted. Don't give me this. I think I know what the show image is going to be now. <laughs> oh no, not that. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you would. <laughs> I'm looking through my lists, and I mean. Uh, I look at one that stood out, and it wasn't. It was an original created character for the anime series. Doll? No, Day of the Samurai. Oh, he, yes, that was a great one. Where he goes back, where Bruce Wayne is called back by one of his teachers, uh, Yoru Sensei, who trained him and what was to be his rival, Kyodai Ken. Yes, and uh, I remember in the end, he, he blocks the touch of death by using a pad underneath his shirt. Find, yeah, finding uh, where the one spot on the training dummy that was hit the most. And yeah. Area. That's right. I mean, again, cheating. Yeah. Good but they also, I mean, they referred back to this episode because if you look at Batman, the, uh, uh, Batman Beyond, where the elderly Bruce Wayne sends uh, uh, the new Batman off. Terry to be McGinnis. Tra- yeah, Terry McGinnis sends him off to be trained. His trainer is the daughter of Yoru Sensei. They bring the character back for that. And uh, that was one of the great things about the DC Animated Universe. From Batman the Animated Series to Justice League Unlimited, there was a continuity to the whole thing. Continuity? You said the C word. Well, well, the continuity (laughs) was very good, but... uh, The the other C word. If you look through all all of the continuity of it, there's only about six errors that are glaring. But those are just errors. You're like, oh, that's a little flurb. I can live with that. You know... And when you look at the same amount of period of comic books, there's at least 30 errors versus just six. So it's like... You can only find 30. You're not looking hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being kind. I know. I know. Why start now? Um, No. Continuity seems to be something they're very, very frightened of. And, you know, know, Bruce Timm didn't mean to create this animated universe at first. He was just trying to do a kick-ass Batman cartoon. And... 
and did it well and did it successful enough to where he got a spinoff or him and Deanie got a spinoff because I've always looked at this being the two of them hand in hand. Yeah. You had great writing and you had great directorials. Yes, and great art style and just love for the characters and a love for the universe that, you know, you need to love to do it because I think that's was was missing from Marvel the whole time. There was none of this love. It's not a fanboy environment. I don't think it's much as a fanboy environment, but it's it's just so amazing to me because like I said Bruce Tim is this amazing guy and it's, you know, new adventures had some He's good excited books about it. You know, and, uh, he when when you look at when you look at any any good writer he knows these characters, you know, they, they know who these people are and, and they know what they're going to do. And, and that relationship that you have with the characters ensures that you're not going to dick them around. And <laughs> like I said, uh, like I said earlier, baby doll was another great villain that was created just for the series. I don't know if she ever got into the comics. No. And I'll, I'll disagree. The first baby doll episode was great. Was just until the end, it was forgettable. The ending was what sold it for me. The yeah. ending was, Amazing. The second Baby Doll episode was a lot better. The Baby Doll Killer Croc episode. Loves a croc, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. But again, it, it goes back to the whole personality, getting inside the head of the character. Yep. Right. And there was just something so sad about her where she actually went straight. She's working in a hotel, and she just wants to be treated like a normal person. And there's this jackass tourist that just keeps on bugging her about it. Hounding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it it's, it's sort another... of this it's sort of this commentary about how, you know, as hard as they can try, there there is always this problem underneath them. Like the New Adventures also did an episode about uh, the ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where he goes straight and the Joker turns him back. It wasn't the Joker, it was the two henchmen. I must be thinking of a comic book episode then. Cause... You're thinking of a comic book because it was yeah. the two henchmen because Scarface said when the muscles start thinking that them's the brains, that's when you have to ampu- amputate. Yep. <laughs> and by the way, I love the first Ventriloquist episode because it was just so hilarious because you have the scene where Batman's tied over a pit of sharp objects and Batman tricks the Ventriloquist and Scarface to turn against each other even though it's all the Ventriloquist. By imitating the ventriloquist's voice and throwing his voice. <laughs> if you're going to be surrounded by madmen, play with that. Come on. <laughs> and, and that's one of Batman's greatest strengths because, you know, you think you got him. You think you have him tied down. You think you have him strapped to metal and then all of a sudden he does something like that. Well, because it still comes down to, you know, yeah, you think you've got him. You think you, you're on top, but you're still crazy. Like, you know, that is something that, that, that's been a theme, and it's, it's an important theme. And, and, by the way, and by the way, speaking of thinking you got him, almost got him, if you listen to the commentary of that one, you, you just have to because that's one of the greatest commentary tracks of the whole run. Because the <laughs> part where Batman ties himself, you know, cuts himself loose from the flying coin... <laughs> and the coin actually hits the two headsmen. The, the producer says, yeah, in real life, they'd, they'd be dead. Yeah. And, <laughs> in real life. And by the way, when Croc says, I hit him with a rock, if you actually <laughs> check the first Killer Croc episode, there is a scene where Croc actually hits Batman with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> I checked. Okay. <laughs> 
So, so wait a minute. That that's where his point of reference to reality broke. It wasn't the flying coin and the flipping and the tying to the round object and all of those things. That wasn't what bothered him. It was that it would have killed them when it hit. <laughs> that that's where his point of reference for reality broke. Okay. You know, it's just really funny because they're, <laughs> because they're just like, yeah, that would have actually killed them if that coin actually hit them. It's yeah. it was just really funny that that they actually that the producers are talking about and they actually say that it, it, it shows a sort of level of hilarity in the commentary that so few production teams can match when talking about their product. Even after all the time, time between when they produced it to the time that the DVD commentaries were made to have such fond memories of it, that says something about the passion that yeah. they put into it. Yes. Tanya, do you have a favorite episode? You know, actually it's already been stolen. It's the, uh, the Poison Ivy and uh, Harley Quinn episode. Oh, I, yes. I love watching them. <laughs> and yeah, okay, we all know that half of it's just the whole girl-girl thing. We get it. But still, I love the, there's this sort of um, seductive psychosis when they're together that just <laughs> thrills me to no end. I love the joy in it. And I love that they pull so much out of each other's personalities. And to have them just together for that whole episode was was brilliant for me it was just that i've spent a few happy afternoons in that episode. <laughs> we can't talk about batman with of course without of course talking about mask of the phantasm oh yeah the batman animated movie which uh, which by the way critics and reviewers like roger ebert leonard malton and various others have heaped praise upon but did not perform well in the box office well Sadly. they've Praise upon a number of really good films that didn't make any money at the box. Oh, this is Roger Ebert who almost never gets anything right. Well, Roger Ebert actually, his he, Roger Ebert loves Batman the animated series. Yeah. Yeah, point of reference was I remember an episode of At the Movies right after the uh, second Schumacher film came out, the uh, Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. They were blasting it. Cisco and Ebert were blasting, it. and then Roger Ebert actually took his side to talk about Sub Zero and about how superior it was. Yeah. So, say what you want to about the man, but you know, well, he, was a, yeah. he was a fan. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, a massive. I'm a. I'm a horrible movie person. I hate most movies. Um, ninety percent of all movies are crap, as far as I can tell. So, um, isn't there a theory about that? Is there? Yeah, ninety percent of all produced media is crap. Well, ninety percent of everything is crap. Yeah, ninety percent of everything um, is crap. Um, yeah, I, I can't get through 10 minutes of most movies and i didn't i don't think i made it through the first 10 minutes of this <laughs> but yeah mask of the phantasm loosely adapted from batman year two by the way yep how loosely because uh, well, batman year two was never done <laughs> yeah there you go yeah so very loosely adapted it's uh, of course dana delaney was there voicing andrea you know did a great performance, you know, so great that she was invited back by Bruce Tim to do Lois Lane for the Superman series. And by the way, Dane Delaney is an awesome voice actress with a great range. And, you know, Mask of the Phantasm was great, but, you know, you can still tell the, the moments where they switched to animation studios, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, there were some TMS moments, but most of it was done by others. Yes. I, I don't want to say Acom because it doesn't look Acom bad. I think it's I think it's Don 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 Wang Studio that did 
the other parts of it. I just remembered who Dana Delaney is. Yeah. Yeah, she was in soap opera. She was in soap opera. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, the beach and uh, the new show that she has on. Yeah, yeah. I loved him. She she aged really well, by the way. Mm hmm. Oh, see, now I have to go look. But uh, I will say, I mean, one of the, I had a major problem with, uh, as much as I enjoyed it, Mask oh. of the Phantasm had one major problem with me. Okay. I don't want to know the Joker's history. They never really, they never was. really, they never really touched on it other than he was just a hitman that never spoke. Right, and that's, that was a throwback to the first Batman movie, and to me, the Joker, this is where uh, the Dark Knight got it right. Yeah. I don't know who he was before the Joker. I don't want to know his past story. Well, and I that, like the fact that he kept changing it when he tried when he was threatening someone. You want to know how he really got these scars? That was beautiful. I know how he got these ones. <laughs> it's it, showing the Joker before he was the Joker just detracts from it for me. I I, I can definitely see that, but uh, the Joker origin is so ingrained in. You, you, let's just be glad that they didn't actually do an episode where they showed Batman at the Ace Chemical Factory. Yeah, but they did do a good throwback of that with uh, "Beware the Creeper," a great episode because I love the Creeper because I am a big Steve Ditko fanboy. <laughs> See, I thought they did a great throwback to it with the Two Face episode. Yeah, because I mean, they basically combined the Joker, the Red Hoods episode uh, yeah. origin with Two Face. That's that's certainly true, but like I said, there was just something so brilliant about that, you know, where they actually had the Creeper was. <laughs> And they this whole segment where they did the flashback of how the Joker was created, where they actually did a dramatization. They actually had, they actually had this guy in a Batman costume. It was totally a throwback to the uh, old serials, the old television serials. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know, oh yeah, uh, with the ears that point off in different directions. Yeah, and in the old movie serials. So. The, the whole the whole point was that uh, you know Bruce Tim and Paul Dini says we kept on saying we want to do an episode with the Creeper. But they didn't know how because the big thing about the Creeper was he always laughs and he's crazy. And they think, well, then how can they tell him different from the Joker? And we're like, I know. Let's tie in the Joker into the Creeper's origin. Mm -hmm. And that's what they went with. And they went with this hilarious subplot where the Creeper kept on trying to get it on with Harley. (laughs) (laughs) And can you blame him? And I think it helps that, you know, (laughs) I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I think it helps that they were really writing the Creeper almost like you know, they were writing Freakazoid. I don't know if it was the same voice <laughs> or not, but whoever it was, it was so close, I think it was. Uh, maybe, actually, now that I think of it, I don't know that I would have um, made the connection before. As everyone rushes to the computers to find yeah, out who the person is. Yeah, the keystrokes. <laughs> well, like I said, I can't verify, so I'm trying to. The Creeper. But like I said, I just loved I just loved that they did the creeper because the creeper was, you know, <laughs> such a great Steve Ditko character. Well, yeah, I mean it was. <laughs> I I was I I'm actually surprised um, that they pulled him, honestly, and I I wouldn't have thought that you know how do we differentiate him from the Joker would have been the biggest problem. Okay, let's see. Jack Ryder was Jeff Bennett. Okay, it's. So, I, mean, uh, I could see them just doing having Jeff Bennett do the Creeper as well. He did not. He did not do Freakazoid. Freakazoid was uh, voiced by someone else, but he did do voices on Freakazoid. Hmm. Oh, uh, Paul Rugg. Paul Rugg. Paul Rugg did Freakazoid. That's 
they just they just have a similar range when they do crazy. <laughs> I think I think you're running down a lot. <laughs> it's I, come on, Neil. You can back me up on that, right? You've lost, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I never really thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, you follow vo- voice actors closer than I do. Yeah, but I, I, I just didn't. I didn't really analyze the Batman voices to that degree. I, I understand, but you know what really pissed me off? <laughs> what? The Batman? Bruce Tim Bruce Tim wanted to do an episode with, uh, I believe it was Nocturne, mm-hmm. where Batman was bitten by a vampire. Batman slowly turning into a vampire and trying to stop that. And But they wouldn't let him do that because they didn't want to have anything about blood consumption on a cartoon. Aww. And guess who got to make a shitty movie with Dracula? Uh-huh. That's right. See, I knew that the Batman would be coming into this somehow. <laughs> well, it just really pissed me off because Bruce Tim did all this work. He actually had all these designs drawn up, a script written out. He had all this work done for it. He, I think he even had storyboards. And they were like, no, we can't, have, we can't have any sort of blood consumption on a cartoon ever. Well, on the bright side, they did have the vampire Batman in a Brave and the Bold episode. So, Another good thing is that they didn't have the vampire uh, sucking plasma from... Uh... From their hands. hands. <laughs> yeah, from oh, their hands. Oh, God. <laughs> from a very infamous uh, Spider-Man episode. <laughs> Must have plasma. Series of episodes, uh, if I remember correctly. Oh, because God. plasma contains so much nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Neogenic Nightmare Part 37. Oh, boy. But like I said, Bruce Tim had this whole idea written down. He had He had everything down. He wanted to do this. He he had, he even had ideas on who would be the voices, and they were like, "We can't have any blood consumption on a cartoon ever." And then it would have been interesting to see. I mean, I, I can vaguely picture, you know, where he might have gone with that and how that might have worked. And it probably is the only way I would have liked it at all. But it was a different time. I mean, people there were a lot more willing to push the envelope on kitty shows, quote-unquote, uh, in the nine, it, when the Batman came around than they were during Batman the Animated Series. Quality didn't matter at that point. That's true. And by the way, I... watching it anyway. And by the way, I found the animation design that Bruce Tim did for Nocturna. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, the episode was canceled after the Fox censors objected to the storyline. Oh. Looks a lot like... Well, I mean, it looks a lot like the design that he used for Red Claw. Actually, Red Claw's a lot... Bigger it looks a lot like the design for most women. Yeah. <laughs> well, his, all of his women all look sexy, so I mean, it, that's all that yeah. matters. Yeah, they they all have that general um, silhouette. So. Yeah. But yes, it's uh, that's just to prove that, yes, he really did want to do it, and he got pretty far in the process before he got shut down with it. And another another note is, seriously, guys, listen to the commentary, because the commentary for Over the Edge... Yeah. was amazing because they originally wanted to have the shot where Batgirl's body hits the police car. They wanted to have it shot from the outside. And, this, and the censors were like, no, no, you can't do that. So they said you have to shoot it from the inside of the car. And Bruce Tim's like, oh my god, they're letting us make it worse! Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> good lord, it would have been a heck of a lot easier to take from beyond. No, you get to be right there. Super <laughs> cool. Oh. Good job, censors. <laughs> You have to admit, though, they did a bang-up job with uh, uh, Batman Beyond Revenge, uh, Return of the Joker. 
We will get to that when we get to Batman <laughs> Beyond, though. It's, but like I said, it's just it was just amazing because the commentary just reveals how much Bruce Tim was. You know, some people say that you know the the dog wags the tail. Bruce Tim was totally wagging the dog. Yeah, and good for him. It needed wagging. Yeah, I mean, through hook or by crook, they did something that had yet to have been done with a regular weekly animated uh, well cartoon. And promoted it beyond just a kitty show to yeah. something that was an all ages with an adult edge. Yeah. Well, and let's be clear, you know, I'm not my parents. You know, they, the way things worked in my household was a little bit different than the way they worked in my parents' household. And I totally wanted to sit on the couch and eat sugar smacks and watch cartoons with my kids. And they were feeding us crap. So um, I was really quite happy to see something like Batman the Animated Series. It it did it was a little more generational. It it made sense. See, and I'm just from the opposite end because when I was a kid, I grew up on the pablum known as Super Friends, cool. or yeah, the uh, Filmation Batman, the second run of Filmation Batman, where Batman and Tarzan, the Lone Ranger, all being done by them, and you just wanted to. Well, I, you couldn't throw a punch at yourself because they never showed that. <laughs> it was the first one where it treated the characters true to themselves. It was the first one where they didn't insult the intelligence of the viewer. Yeah. And that was something that, again, in animation hadn't been seen. You either had – there was no medium at that point. You either had the kitty fair of, yes. you know, like I said, Super Friends, the Hanna-Barbera stuff, the Filmation stuff, or you went the far extreme – of the Ralph Bakshi porno films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Batman the Animated Series was the first time we had middle ground. It, honestly, I think Bakshi is overrated as all can be. I, I think I've watched his stuff and I'm not really that impressed. Yeah, I mean, he did when he was under somebody else's watch, he did some good stuff. But when he's alone, he decides he can do all sorts of weird stuff, and that makes him a genius for some reason. He yeah, loses a which little is bit like of control. Cool world failed miserably. But on Batman the Animated Series, you know, when you had the confluence of talents of a Paul Dini, a Bruce yeah. Tim, a Glenn Murakami, of so many. Not not so much Glenn Murakami as we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his his portfolio may suck, but he sure did some great stuff later on. But, and then bringing in actual talent. I mean, right. no no slight to people like Jeff Bennett and the others where they do 1,500 characters. Right. You had people but, put in a performance that was unique. Yeah. Well, there there is something to be said for a voice actor um, becoming one or two characters because they do have an intimacy then with those characters and they're going to play them differently. Well, um, it, it, they... How often, before Batman the Animated Series, how often did you pull in high-powered talent? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the cast list here. I mean, Mark Hamill as yeah. the Joker, which, I mean, Hamill wasn't really doing anything. But, I mean, then you had Paul Williams doing the Penguin. Adrian yep. Barbeau as Catwoman. I mean, John Glover as I – mean, you would never think of these people. It, to me, it was a – it was Pixar's brilliance as part of the casting. Yep. and. A big part of this was you got people on there who just were the right people for the right roles. Absolutely. And like I said, it's just 
it's just amazing how this culminated so well and the timing was just right the the uh, the just the amount of control that the sensors had versus the amount of control that Tim had was just right of course, I would prefer it if Tim had a little bit more control. He would have actually done the vampire episode he wanted, but uh, that's yeah. another point, another time. <laughs> and ultimately, like I said, by the time by the time someone in Warner Brothers realized what was happening, Bruce Tim was so entrenched as the DC animated guy yep. that there was no question that he was in charge. Oh yeah, they're hooked. That's why we still have him. Why he's in charge of the whole thing now? I mean, a lot of the direct to DVD stuff we're getting. Is him, yes. Is him. Yes, it is. So at this point, we should just thank them for being so high on the Burton craze that they allowed this at all. Um, yeah, so high on the Burton craze that they let, they let Bruce Tim basically BS all these... Yes. Thank you for for losing your minds for a split second. We <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it wasn't safe. It's not a safe series, and you know, and they have garnered complaints. Um, they've garnered complaints for the sexual undertones, and they've, or overtones in some cases. Um, they've garnered complaints for the violence. They've garnered complaints for the overall bad attitude. Like, I'd rather you know, have the violence to have a complaint about versus what they did with Spider-Man, where the most violent two characters could get is they grab each other by the shoulders and start pushing. Yeah, shoving matches. <laughs> Back to the super friends, you. I mean, where you bring the villain down by a stern talking to. Oh, we're, I know. What we're was that? God, so we're sold that God grabs Superman, carries him over his head, and runs off screen. It's violent yeah. diplomacy. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I'd rather uh, have the actual I violence. Had I'd have. I'd rather have the complaints versus having a team that is so lily livered and cowardly oh, and and. And just so about what's safe that they don't they make one of the worst superhero cartoons of the nineties. Oh yeah. Well no and I mean I appreciate them taking that risk. Absolutely. I'm glad that they suffered through the complaints and you know, just long enough for it to be too popular for them to turn around and run with the tail between their legs. Um That that's certainly true. And you know, I think I think it's brilliant and one thing I actually loved was uh, when they did uh, Robin's Reckoning. Two-parter, great two-parter, by the way. They actually showed Batman back when Robin was still a boy. You know, Dick Grayson was still a boy. And his costume, the whole design motif of his costume was different. Yes. They showed a different era of Batman in the in the series. And I thought that was brilliant because his his, his belt wasn't a solid piece of metal like it was in in the current series. What uh, You know, in the series proper, it was a pouched belt. So it's, it, there were little details like that. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. It's well, and it's it, and it goes right back to you know really immersing you in in a world that's believable. As as people grow and progress, things change, and to have him just this static character through decades would have been ridiculous. And by the way, Tony Zuko, voiced by Tom Wilson, butthead. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It's, it's just a little piece of trivia there. It's uh, I would well, not remember, have told uh, that. We go back to uh, episodes they had Michael J. Fox voice a character on an excellent episode. Which one was that? Um, it starts off with him. Well, uh, now I've got to remember it because I remember the tail end of it where it's uh, in the beginning. He Batman finds this kid who's stealing luggage from people who coming into Gotham. Oh, I remember that one. Is is that is that appointment in Crime Alley? Yes, it is. Yeah, appointment in Crime Alley. 
Wow, and who's he... got his Batman hat on today? Yes. <laughs> wow. And the whole thing ends up showing that people can change and that Batman has an effect on people. Sometimes for the yeah. bad, sometimes for the good. And that reminds me of another episode, uh, one from New Adventures, uh, Old Wounds. It explained exactly why Dick Grayson left and then came back as Nightwing. And that was something else. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't an episodic or serial, but you did see the progression of the characters through the series. Dick Grayson may have started off as Robin, but he wasn't the same Robin that we think of as the young boy. Right. Then we go and have him progress to Nightwing, and we work our way forward. And then we have Tim Drake, where they took uh, the best elements of Tim Drake and Jason Todd, if there were any good elements from Jason yeah, Todd. Jason Todd. His death, but... Well, actually, they took the, the, the street urchin elements. Yeah. But thankfully, he wasn't taking the tires off the Batmobile. Oh. Yeah. I don't know that. <laughs> Some people like that, but I don't know why. That was cheesy. Best. But like I said, it was just—it was just something that they were that they were doing that they decided if we're going to do Tim Drake, we want some elements that make him not so squeaky clean like comic Tim. So yeah, they made they used the street or, urchin origin from uh, Jason Todd, and I think that actually worked pretty well. I think that worked yeah. pretty well. It wasn't perfect, but it really worked pretty well. Really can't have squeaky clean. Um characters in this continuity in gotham <laughs> city absolutely not nobody's no. Clean. no no and like i said i just love the i just love the fact that you have uh you know this this version of tim drake who is just a really nice not psychotic jason todd <laughs> 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 because you know i didn't live for the jason todd years but i know tom did yeah were you one of the votes the original Jason Todd. Remember, there were, were you two one Jason of the votes? Well, you... Let me let me preface this. Okay, there were two Jason Todds. Pre-crisis Jason and post-crisis. Todd originally was basically he was a rehash of Dick Grayson, where he was an a acrobat, acrobat whose parents were killed and adopted. And he was and... blonde too, wasn't he? Yep. And then they retconned him to the street urchin, boosting the tires off the Batmobile. Yeah. And anything that was likable about the character went away. So when they had the one eight hundred one nine hundred dial in to save or kill Jason Todd, <laughs> I sternly took my spot and didn't vote on either one. There you go. I thought the whole thing was tacky. <laughs> I still do. Comic by committee. But it was a great publicity stunt. <laughs> it's something people are talking about to this day, especially yeah. when they bring the character back. That should have stuck. Yeah. In. Not because it was Superboy Prime punching the reality's walls and all that bullshit, but boy. But, the word uh, retcon anymore just makes me break out into a cold sweat. I'm tired <laughs> of it. Just stop. Just stop. Yeah, like killing Barry Allen's mother. Ugh. Just stop. <laughs> but I love... I see you curling up in the fetal position now every time someone mentions the word retcon. Yeah, I just... I rock <laughs> back and forth and I cry a little. It's just... <laughs> I've had enough. Move the... A little piece of trivia. What's the only other DC superhero to cross over with Batman in just Batman the Animated Series? Uh-oh. Now I'm... Over? What? I'm there. Other than, I mean, we had, of course, the two Superman when they launched... The no, 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 no. Just Batman the Animated Series proper, not new Batman Adventures. Hmm. This is an easy one. Neil should know this one off the bat. Oh, I, I should have known that just from who wrote the episode. 
Neil? I wanted Neil to have a chance to say it before. I'm Tom. drawing a blank. I should know this, but it, it's it's a design that you love. Written by about his favorite character. It's a design that you love, Neil. It's it's your favorite superheroine design. Well, that would firmly put it in the in the uh, in the class of Wonder Woman. It's it's the episode. It's the episode with Zatanna. Oh yeah. <laughs> she didn't have her magic powers, but she had the magic costume. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's every superheroine's most Fishness. important power is keeping. It was actually stockings. They on. couldn't get. They couldn't ask yeah. the Korean animators to do fishnets because that would have been a cruel, cruel that's, joke. That's pretty rude. <laughs> yeah. I'm Korean, so I'm allowed to say that. What? <laughs> what? That wasn't exactly um. Yeah. You know, <laughs> insulting at all. <laughs> But no, it's it, no. They actually said that they use stockings versus fishnets because that would have been too much to ask from the animators. Which shows another thing, you know. Number one, get the commentaries. Number two, <laughs> number two, the, Bruce Tim knew how much to ask from these right. animators. Yeah. And that's really, and, really key. And it also goes back to the writing because it goes one of the episodes people remember because it shows Bruce Wayne. Not just Batman, where he becomes a more real character. He becomes a person at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is long lost girlfriend. Yeah. Yes, and he gave himself away by calling her his her the nickname she hates, Zana. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Bruce Tim actually has a has is it a wife his wife now or is, was it still a girlfriend? His wife. Oh, he, he, yeah, he did marry her. Where she her profession is that of a stage magician and yes she does look a heck of a lot like Zatanna yes wow how long did he have to look for that dang yeah. well it's, it's healthier than Chris Claremont where he just hires a woman to dress up like Storm and whip him <laughs> I don't think that's healthier necessarily well, unless the woman is Halle Berry in which case I'd pay for that <laughs> wow it's the same thing Berry. that happens to everything else Tom yeah yeah <laughs> Hey, any, if it's Halle Berry for anything, I'll pay for that. Well, I mean, Halle I'm Berry. embarrassed to say that I actually went and saw Catwoman because of that. I did too. It was she's <laughs> in a leather suit. It's yeah, powerless. I mean, I mean, you get the DVD of that. You turn off the sound. You're happy. <laughs> <laughs> Forget storyline. Just watch her. So at least we understand where the powerless line is drawn, and that's pretty much yeah. That that, that would be the line. <laughs> Yeah, right there. Found well, it. well, you know, it's if it's not a unitard, it doesn't get my buy. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually a little more of a Zatanna fan. And you know, back to back to the Catwoman design in Batman the Animated Series. Oh my God! Wow. Mm. The original one, absolutely. Yeah, the original one. I mean, granted, that was because of the second movie. I mean, yes, but I thought that was actually but, quite brilliant. Yes. I mean, it was, she was just gorgeous. And, and speaking of speaking of women working together, what about what about uh, her friend Holly? Which I think what appeared in one or two episodes. After that, kind of just. I know, but there up. was a you know, her, she but has that, a best friend named Holly that lives with her. Mm-hmm. That's actually a throwback to Batman Year Year One, one where Holly killer. was where, where there were prostitutes and Catwoman's actually a black prostitute. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a lot of um, huh. Subtext. Subtext. What an excellent word. 
Yeah. Maybe use it enough I'm with just gonna go, There's though. a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of lesbian love from from the animator or from not not from the animators but from the uh, the the writers. Well, uh, Bruce Tim did an issue of Tom Strong. It's a uh, a very famous issue of Tom Strong. He actually drew. It was awesome. It was nothing but jungle girls in bikinis. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, give me an afternoon, and you know, what are you gonna do? And... <laughs> but I love that. I love that about Bruce Tim. He's just he he is just such a character, and he's just so awesome. It's he he is totally one of the guys. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the same thing about Paul Dini. Paul Dini is a fanboy. There is no two ways around it. He is a fanboy. And he admits he's a fanboy, and you gotta love him because he's a fanboy. And by the way, we did name uh, we did name uh, most of the uh, cameo appearances Bruce Tim did as himself in the series. Do you know what the last one was? No. Mm. Joker's Millions. Nope. <gasps> I'm sorry, you're wrong on that one. If you're talking the animated series, yes. But he made an appearance as himself in the Batmite Brave and the Bold episode that he wrote. I'm talking about Bruce Tim. See, oh Tim, I couldn't say for that one. I know Deanie was in. No, no, Bruce Tim was in. Bruce Tim cameoed as himself in Joker's Millions as the big, overweight guy with glasses auditioning to be the new Harley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually voiced himself saying, "Darn." Nice. <laughs> And you just gotta love that he keeps on throwing himself in there, like yeah, you well, gotta I, love I it. it. That's another great episode. <laughs> yeah, Joker's Millions because it has, it has the memorable Joker line: "I'll go against Batman, but the IRS." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm crazy. I'm not stupid. <laughs> not interested. Wow. So while the new the the new Adventures series. Had the new designs and Catwoman's design obviously suffered. Yeah. But there were a lot of great episodes in that series. Yeah. Two of my favorite of the whole run were in that series, you know, Over the Edge and uh, and Growing Pains. Yeah. Well, Holiday Nights, the first one that they showed for it, which was a rehash of the... Uh, Holiday Nights had this great scene where, where Barbara Gordon's changing into her Bat- Batgirl costume mm-hmm. almost semi-in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a dressing room, but still, I'm mean, having to deal with everything there. I mean, Joker's Millions, uh, Torch Song. I mean, the first time where I actually liked the villain of Firefly. Well, that's because they made him a, a crazy a celebrity stalker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean believable. Yeah. That's <laughs> what they made him But then they also had such noteworthy episodes as Mean Seasons where... He's oh, ca- they, they reimagined Calendar, Calendar Man oh. as Calendar Girl. In X and, Model. And Critters. Critters was, what in the commentaries they actually talk about, Critters was their attempt at doing a Adam West-style Batman story, but told straight. Yeah, and it <laughs> worked so well. <laughs> but, yeah, back to, back to uh, Mean Seasons with Calendar Girl. Wow. That was another episode done by TMS. And by the way, that shows where the giant uh, dinosaur came from that's in the Batcave. <laughs> just like the giant penny, just like the giant penny came from almost got him. Yeah, I think I actually missed that one. Oh, it's a great episode. Beautiful animation, first off. Second off, it had it had a very nice psychological story to it. It it you could see the ending coming. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it was still it was still very well done. But uh, speaking of women working together well together, old series, another great episode, Batgirl Returns. Batgirl and Catwoman. Oh yeah. I missed that one. Yeah, Batgirl and Catwoman <laughs> teaming up together. How can you not love that? Well, now I have to go find it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there I, goes I, my productivity for the night. I'm sorry, everyone. Was... No, it's, it's it's fine. But by the way, uh, I love Tara Strong to death and Tara Strong's Batgirl. I love that to death, but I love the original Gilbert. Batgirl voice. The original Batgirl voice is my favorite. Yeah. Melissa Gilbert, how can you go wrong with her? Ah, Melissa Gilbert, yeah. Yeah. You're being a little quiet, Neil. I'm I'm just enjoying the show. I I speak up when I have something to say. Okay. okay. <laughs> I I just want to know did you did you have a pick for uh, which Batgirl did you like more? Not really. I I haven't watched the series in a while, and I don't think I was that into voice actors at the time. So I got you. But I what I did love about Batgirl was they actually introduced the Barbara Gordon character not as Batgirl, but as Barbara Gordon, as a resourceful, spunky, young college girl in Heart of Steel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They introed her there, and, you know, they had her appear several other times, and it's finally where she is in. Finally, she shows up as Batgirl proper after we know her as as Barbara Gordon. And it fits in because she's not coming out as Batgirl, but trying to impersonate Batman right. to support her father in jail. Right. I, I do have to say, though, that my initial reaction when they introduced Barbara Gordon was, oh, good, spunky, because I'm really freaking sick of spunky. Um, <laughs> there there comes a point where it's like, oh, superhero girl, I know, spunky, and you just get sick of it. But See, they I, did redeem I, that. When they introduced the Barbara Gordon character to me, I thought, no bloody red wig. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just also a valid reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I just really love how they built these certain things, and I, I yeah, love I love how they keep out. on attacking Disney. <laughs> it, because originally, originally they did an episode with Mister Freeze, where a very Walt Disney esque character, you know, going with the rumor that Walt Disney froze himself upon death. Yeah. He wants to have the same process done to him that made uh, Mister Freeze Mister Freeze. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. Yeah, to live forever. I mean, I, I think that was a Deep Freeze with Grant Walker. Yes, and where they he had told... a very Epcotish uh, city under the sea. And you know, I, they drew him so Walt Disney esque that I'm surprised they weren't sued. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, I was a child and I got it immediately. I'm like, they're making fun of Walt Disney. <laughs> you were a child. How old are you? <laughs> 28. Oh. I haven't. I've got socks older than that. I was going to say, geez. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> but regardless of my age, I am still an aficionado. <laughs> we will allow it. <laughs> it just means you suffered less than we did. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I've seen some reruns, so I Super know. friends. We need to just strap them down and make them watch a 24-hour montage of the Smurfs. Form of a I have suffered suffered through the Smurfs, guys. I have suffered through the Smurfs. Yeah, you were were sentient in the 80s. (laughs) That worked. But yeah, 
You totally missed on, uh, you know, form of a bucket. Oh, God. He totally missed on Saturday morning in the 80s when you were just trapped and you couldn't turn on any better cartoon. <laughs> it was three channels of, of Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera at its worst. <laughs> Punky Brewster for the win. Yeah. The Gary Punky Coleman show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but back to good animation. <laughs> swoggle. Dog. Oh. I really think these were mind experiments on the gener- our generations. Yeah. Okay, but now, see, my kids had it bad, too. They suffered through Scrappy-Doo. And... Everyone um... suffered through Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> our FO25 uh, episode, we actually had a guest that swore up and down that Scrappy saved Scooby-Doo. But don't don't forget there was a character that was worse than Scrappy. Are you talking Introduced about Flim Flam? Flim Flam, yes. Oh. Flim Flam. It, they couldn't kill the series with Scrappy, so they created Flim Flam. And oh, that did it. Worse. Got the, the red herring and the oh god, it's whole have you seen the new Scooby Doo? Yeah. Well what 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 it was was they took uh, they took uh, cousin Oliver, strapped him down, and they sort of they sort of drip out his uh, essence and to create these characters. <laughs> See I just I feel sorry for Vincent Price for that whole period. Yeah. Well I at mean, least he got to voice over thriller. Yeah, and he got a paycheck. <laughs> That's the important thing. I celebrated Mr. Price's birthday by watching the original House on Haunted Hill. Great movie, by the way. Mask of the Red Death. Brilliant. Okay. And, of course, All the Flies. All of them. The Cask of Montilado. Beautiful. <laughs> but uh, moving back anyway. on Batman... <laughs> A digression on this show? Never. Well, actually, this is this is the least digression we've had so far, Neil. That's true. We, uh, you know, what, what's what's the funniest little behind the scenes note for for you, Neil, about about Batman, the oh. animated series? God, I think you've gone through them all. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait, there are still notes. Um. I just love all your little stories about watching watching the commentaries. I don't have the commentaries, so I can't really come up with one. So, I don't know. That's why you buy the box sets, Neil. Yeah, I need to get those. And uh, one thing I have to be honest about was uh, Christmas with the Joker. Mm-hmm. Oh heavens! It's totally an Acom episode, and even with even with uh, you know Bruce Tim doing his best to help Acom. <laughs> It's still an ACOM episode. But it did give us, I mean, the whole run of the Joker loving to be on television. Yes. I mean, that was a running thing throughout the... Validation horror, yeah. Yep. And I loved that they that they threw in the uh, the Batmobile lost its wheel, the, that whole song that oh, everyone used so to sing brilliant. at the schoolyard. Yes. I was like, yes! Oh, by the way, we, we mentioned Cause and Oliver... Remember, remember, in the baby doll episode, they they said they talked and they brought in a, a new character called Cousin Spunky, who was yeah. a blonde haired with a bowl cut with glasses that pushed the baby doll's face into a pie. Yeah, they were totally making fun of Cousin Oliver. Good, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and that that's just one of the things I love about the show is they that they do these little things that as a child you don't really get. Yeah, and then you watch as an adult, and you're like, oh, that's what it is. But you know why he's a punk rocker. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, uh, the uh, the episode with the uh, with the guy who wanted to steal Batman's cow. 
Mm-hmm. Love that episode. Although it did give me flashbacks to the Mad Hatter in the Adam West series. But I just I just love the fact that it's Batman all along manipulating this event. And but I mean it, and then you can go down to things like just completely oddball episodes. I make them laugh. Oh. Was that Which, the was that the one where uh, the Joker uh, hypnotizes uh, these uh, critics that banned his uh, act as a comedian? Yeah, that uh, basically they were judges on a comedy show, uh, which were direct ripoffs of um, uh, Bob Hope. Uh, I can't think of who the second one was supposed to be. Rosie the, O'Donnell, I think. No, uh, Roseanne Barr was the third one. Yeah, Mighty yeah. Mom, but I mean, as yeah. Condiment King, Pack Rat, and Mighty Mom. Oh Lord, that was funny. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah I, I remember. Sitting... I remember that one because the Joker told one of the worst jokes in history. It was Foster's the joke. No, it was the frog sitting on top of a guy's head joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Where a guy walks into a doctor's office and he had a frog on top of his head, and the doctor says that doesn't look too good, and the frog says I'd say I woke up and I had a pimple on my butt. Yeah. <sighs> But, um, Guy walks into a bar and says, ouch. Yeah. Stick to the crime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it goes, I mean, the psychology again, he wants validation that he's funny. And he's not, except to himself. Right. And Harley. And another great episode was the one where he kidnaps the mayor's son. Yeah. Where he almost gets an apprentice. Yes. Mm. And... It was just really, really, really awesome because at first he is totally trying to be Bozo the Clown before he's the Joker. Yeah. Um, be a Clown was, was the episode, if I remember. Um, yeah. Yes, it was. By Frank Parr, or directed by Frank Parr. Yes. Who was uh, someone else who was a master of the art. And really, that's, that's what's great because Bruce Tim basically had all this talent and cultivated it, grew it, maturated it, and it grew into... Other great series, other great producers, people moved on. Uh, some people from Batman moved on to Gargoyle. Some people from Batman moved on to X-Men Evolution mm-hmm. and so forth. You know, Batman the Animated Series was the proving ground for the next generation of the serious comic book style cartoon. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that can't be argued about. That, can't, that can be universally agreed upon. It's just what it was. And and praised. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, any other factoids, tidbits, uh, favorite episodes, favorite characters, anything, guys? No. All right. Well, let's wrap this up then. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'd like to say goodnight. Uh, next time we will be talking about uh, what are we talking about, Neil? You want to throw in an, a, uh, a non-DC episode next time so we don't have to stack them? Um. You know what? These are these are gonna these are turning out pretty well. So uh, we can probably just roll right on to Superman if we if you want. Or okay, we we'll I don't, do. I don't have the schedule in front of me, so I I completely forgot what other what else was on. There. Well, we we have a bad localization defending Carl Masick also on the schedule, but we can throw Superman yeah. next if you want. Yeah. Okay, we'll throw in Superman. We'll uh, you know anyone who wants to appear again on Superman, welcome to. Uh, <laughs> and I think we'll I think we'll definitely put the break after Superman and we'll go right to bad localization because I really want to do that. So do I. I want to <laughs> do bad localization. And uh, look forward to having you all next time. Uh, I am your host Ben, 
Jeeves, Mr. Neil. Tanya. <laughs> this is Tanya Higgins. <laughs> and I'm Thomas Revore from 910 Comics. That's www.910cmx.com. All right, and good night, everybody. <laughs> bat cookies and bat milk for everyone. Yeah. Same bat time, same bat channel. Bat channel. <laughs> 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 <laughs>